Terry Byer. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that 291-6901. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would give us a call. Chat us up. That's it. Got a question on your mind, something been bugging you, something you just want to know about. Hey, you give us a call, we're going to try to help you out. And right now is the perfect time. There you go. We are just getting started here, so we have (laughs) plenty of time to answer your questions. that's right. we got a whole hour, so this is time to call. If you wait to the end of the show, a lot of times we can't take the call because we just don't have enough time before the... uh, Right. But you can still get your questions answered. That's right. You can always go to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. And lots and lots of folks do that, do avail themselves of that service. That will give you some information. I had several emails this morning. I stopped to answer that uh-huh. before I came in. And just a full range of things. People who just want to know this, that, or the other. And that is just a much, much better way than to go in and try to do something when you're not sure of what you're doing. Right. Whether you call or write to us or check it in some official fashion, you just need information because cars today, a lot of the things that we've always assumed about cars, particularly guys who are used to working on their own stuff. Right. If you worked on a car 10 years ago, 15 years ago, probably everything that you know is wrong. It's wrong. That's right. Because everything has changed so much. That's right. It reminds me, I was watching that movie Titanic at one time and they were talking about the captain of the Titanic and this guy was like, expert seaman i mean he was right. wonderful captain but he'd never been on a ship of that size of that magnitude so everything that he knew was working didn't, against him right it didn't apply to that ap- right that application. To that application and i'm not saying he caused the, the accident certainly didn't but that could have contributed because sure. he didn't know how you know, he was traveling too fast whatever to move a ship that big it just takes a lot of time for that ship to move uh-huh. and where we're going with all that is that so many of the things that we knew 10 years ago has changed absolutely 180 degrees the other way now sure i'll never forget i had a buddy of mine that we worked together at a dealership oh i guess 45 years ago that's been a while yeah (laughs) and he was a good line mechanic he and i work side by side and we've still been friends all these years Uh and he calls me one day and he says man my car won't start I said, what'd you do to it? <laughs> he says, well, I wanted to check the alternator, so I'm, I disconnected the battery, and that won't run Yeah, anymore. now it won't run. I said, oh, man. He said, well, that's how we always do. I said, well, yeah, back when you had a generator or a plain alternator, you could do that. Right, analog, direct. Yeah. yeah. Now you can't do that because when you disconnect the battery, the system voltage goes sky high because it doesn't have a buffer anymore. You probably either knocked out the PCM or at very least scrambled the programming in the PCM. Uh-huh. So, man, what can I do? I said, well, yeah. tow, tow it on a tow truck. <laughs> tow, tow it over here. And fortunately, we were able to go back and reprogram, and it came up, and everything was fine. But right. the voltage in the system probably went up to 16, 17 volts. Sure, which just, that alternator went wide open. Yeah, it cleared out the memory in the PCM. And he wasn't doing anything that wasn't perfectly normal. Back in the day. 40 years ago. Right. But you just can't do that today. Other things is like we talked about a little bit a couple of weeks ago, using a test light to check circuits. Mm-hmm. And if you're on an analog 12 volt circuit, that probably works okay. But if you happen to hit a five volt reference circuit with that, you may burn out whatever's the, controlling it. You may burn out the PCM. You right. may burn out the body control module. You can do an inordinate amount of damage just by doing something that you always did before. Mm-hmm. Well, and vehicles were wired different back in the day that's right they were positive and ground ran a motor and went through a well, switch that was all and, it was. that's right Off well on. now 
everything is digital. Right. So it's sending a square wave pattern out to a module. Yeah, pulse modulated wave. The, the module accepts, looks at it and says, yeah, this is for me. If the module looks at it and it's not the right one, it just bypasses until it picks up the next module, right. looks at it and says, oh, this is for me. Right. And then it activates sort what's like going on. Cable vision in your home where you can order a movie and all these movies for all these people are coming over that same cable. Uh-huh. They're all coming over a single wire, but they might pass by 10,000 homes. Until, when they get to the one with the right IP address, they're going in. That's, that's right. where it is. Same sort of thing on the car. And it's just everything now, like what looks to be a motor is not a motor at all. It's an actuator. Mm-hmm. And the way an actuator works, it works with a pulse with modulated signal. More pulses, the more movement. Less pulses, less movement. It's not a motor that's spinning around. And things like, like right, or a magnet. For instance, a lot of times, like a door lock actuator, people think that's a magnet or something that pulls something down. It's uh-huh. not. It's a pulse with modulated actuator. And it sends a pulse to it, and it cranks the door down. It sends another pulse, it cranks the door back up. But it's not a 12-volt off-on device. Like it, like it used to be when right. it first came out. And if it pulls that door down to lock and then the power is interrupted, it's not going to go back up. Right. It's not going to return to a neutral position. It's just going to stay in the position it's in until something drives it back up. And that has to be a pulse with modulated signal. You can't go just cross the wires on and, and make <laughs> it go back up. All right. you do is burn it up. So, I mean, things are just so, so much different. And not only electronic things, but even simple things like a tie rod on a car mm-hmm. where at one time I know people would take like a big pair of water pump pliers and squeeze on a tie rod and see if it had any slack in it. Right. Well, now you've got a little spring-loaded device in there that's holding it into a seat, and if you put those big water pump pliers and crunch down on it, you're going to crush that spring. And now it's going to be loose. Now you do need a tire. <laughs> <laughs> so that just requires a different method of testing. Sure. And if you're not certain, it's best to do nothing at all. Yeah, at least you're not causing any damage. Well, yeah, kind of like the Hippocratic Oath where the first line is do no harm. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you can't help, don't do anything wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines. we got CJ online. Good morning, CJ. Uh, good morning. How are you? Today? Doing wonderful, Doing sir. great. I have a 2001 Dodge Durango. Okay. It has almost 200,000 miles on it. Okay. And I've noticed my train. Well, I think, to start off with, I think my throttle body needs to be clean, but because uh, my RPM, you know, is just go up and down just a little bit. Okay. All right, but... My transmission, I notice my transmission doesn't do this all the time, mm-hmm. but when it shifts, especially at low speed, sometimes it, it gives a hard clunk. Okay. I'll tell you something, CJ, that's pretty common on that vehicle that could cause both of those problems, and that is a throttle position sensor that's going bad. Mm-hmm. The throttle position sensor, the TPS, will interfere with idle if it's not reading properly because that's what tells it's all the way closed. That tells it, the computer. Right. The computer monitors the throttle with that sensor. Right. It and knows it, where that throttle plate is, is the amount of voltage that the computer gets back from the 5-volt right. reference so signal. If it's indicating that the throttle's closed, but the RPM are too high, it's going to try to bring it down. Okay. And if it doesn't know that, then it's going to surge up and down looking for idle. It's also one of the main inputs to the transmission because when you put the accelerator on the floor, it knows it has to boost these pressures up because it's more demand on the transmission. So the TPS is one of the largest inputs to the transmission. I mean, it it has several inputs. It looks at temperature. It looks at RPM. It looks at a lot of things. It looks at the MAP sensor. But the TPS is one of the main inputs because it wants to know how much throttle the driver's applying. And if it gets an erratic signal, it may go to maximum pressure, which is going to make it bang into gear. So... I would probably, and 
I got to say, we've changed more than a few of those on that vehicle. They have a fairly high failure rate on it. Now, if you just don't have any test equipment and you just want to throw a part at it, that's not a terribly expensive part. Go to the Dodge dealer and buy it. Try it and see. If not, you're going to have to have a digital lab scope to test it. You're not going to be able to test it on your own. If you want to just change it, check the price on it. If it's not too high and you feel like you can change it yourself, you could always change it if you if you hadn't if you don't fix the problem you're not out a whole lot. Just go oh, to Dodge. Don't go to a parts store and buy one because it's not gonna work. It may work worse than that one out of the right. box. Yes, sir. Because both of the symptoms showed up approximately at the same time. Yeah, uh-huh. and I mean both of those would go hand in hand. Right. I mean certainly while you're in there, go ahead and clean the throttle body. It's not gonna hurt anything. Mm-hmm. But I would suspect the throttle position sensor. And like I said, to test it properly, you either have to have a Chrysler scan tool or a digital lab scope where you can see the pattern on it and slow it down enough for your eye can see it. If you can take that throttle body off the engine, it's a lot easier to clean the backside of it. And while you got it off on the bench, you can go ahead and change that TPS sensor also. Right. Okay. It's a lot easier to do if you can take it off. Yeah, I want to say those sensors are somewhere around they're... 50 bucks. I mean, if you call the Dodge dealer, they tell you it's $300. Right. Well, it would pay you to have it tested. <laughs> exactly. You know? But yes, well, it doesn't sound like it's too expensive. I don't think I don't it know. is, and I don't We'd think it's too hard, but I, I've been fooled before. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure it's got a special screw head on it that you're going to have to have either a Torx bit or yeah. maybe even a security Torx or something like you that to take it off. You may have to buy a certain tool right. to get it off because most of them don't just use a regular screw on them. Well, thank you, fellas. I, right. I listen to you every weekend, and I learn a lot by well, listening to you. thanks for listening. And uh, y'all have a good day. Okay, thank, see you, thank you. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. Take a quick little break and be right back with more. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm into cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you with the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. Forty years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. Forty years. I, I got him bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us. <laughs> this is the Automotive Hour. There we you go. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we always appreciate it when you give us a call. That makes it more interesting for everybody. Anything you got on your mind, a little question you might be worrying about, worried about or yeah. thinking about or considering or something come to mind, well, automobile related. Something somebody told you and you're just you're not, not sure if it's true. There you go. <laughs> Now's the time to get the truth. That's right. You go and give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Speaking of the truth, I guess, uh-huh. we talked many times on the show about the Ford problem with the 5.4 liter engines. The three valve? Spark plugs break off in the engine. Right. And Ford would never, ever step up to the plate and do anything about that. Uh Now, what has happened is that a number of owners have joined together in a class action suit. Correct. Sued Ford. Ford lost in court. So what they are doing now, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they will reimburse all the people up to certain limits. And 
I think I, it was under 120,000 miles. Anything yeah. over 120,000, you're out. You're out. If you got less than 120,000 miles and you've had the spark plugs replaced, if it costs you less than $300, they won't do anything for you. That's okay. just that's just your bad luck. Right. I think from 300 to 500, they'll pay like, and I'm I'm gonna paraphrase, say 30 percent. I think of the repair it may not be. From five hundred to a thousand, I it think they'll 50%. pay fifty percent. Right, and then from a thousand up to three thousand, I think they'll pay seventy percent. Right, seventy or seventy-five. I don't remember which Something. one. I don't yeah. have the paper in front of me, but you can probably go to the internet and just sure. type in Ford class action suit and see that right. the details would be there. If this is if you have had your spark plugs replaced. Now, uh-huh. if you have not had them replaced and you got less than one hundred twenty thousand miles. They're not going to give you anything. You have to go have them replaced, right. and then you would fall under wherever the costs come out. At, come out, depending on how many broken. If they all came out, you'd pay one price. If right. they broke, then well, if they you'd all come go, out, you'd probably be under the three hundred dollar limit. Sure. In which case, they're not going to do anything for you. And if you wait till after one hundred twenty thousand miles, they're not going to do anything for you. So, I guess it's better than nothing at all. It's a shame in this well, day and age you got to sue a manufacturer to, to do get, something about a defective product. Right. But that's just the way it is. Thank God for the court system that it does work most of the time. You know, most of the time, yeah. Well, very similar situation. Not too too many years ago, again with Ford with those plastic intake manifolds. Right. They're putting on the four sixes. They and were they, split wide open. They had done that since ninety four, ninety three, somewhere up in there, somewhere four, in there, maybe yeah. five, somewhere in there. I don't remember when they started it was a, that. It was a plastic intake manifold that had coolant running through right, it. Right, and it would split wide open, usually right behind the alternator. Right, it was the coolant seam. into the alternator. There was a seam right there that would give up. And, again, they wouldn't do anything about it. And so a bunch of owners got together, sued them, class action, uh-huh. won, and they did have to reimburse a lot of people. Right. And they came out with a new one with a piece of aluminum across the front that does stop that problem. However, now they start leaking wet aluminum and plastic goes. <laughs> I tell you, Ford just Man, can't they, seem to get it together no, these days. No, they can't. I, I got to say, and I hate to just bash on somebody, but, man, that has got to be one of the worst products, that, in my opinion, well, I mean, on the road. I mean, the big three. Yeah. They're not the, the, I call them not, the not-so-big-three anymore. Yeah, I mean, none of them are great, but yeah. I got to say, we see so oh, many yeah. problems with Ford. And, I mean, at fairly low mileages, what I right. consider low mileage is around 100, 110,000. I mean, time and chain's breaking, time and chain guide's breaking, yep. valve spring's breaking, you name it, air conditioners, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, yeah that's, long. that's that's a, pretty much a guarantee under 100,000 somewhere. Yeah, just a real shame that they turn out a product like that and then don't really want to do anything. Got to be taken to court to do something about it. To do something about it. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's terrible. And when you talk about recalls, and of course, there's no shortage of those nowadays, but when I see things like Volkswagen with this emissions yeah, related, I mean, yeah, you got things like, let's say the, the airbag problem on the Hondas. And admittedly, it's a horrible thing because people have been killed. Uh-huh. But you got to say, okay, that manufacturer really didn't realize that this bag, under very high humidity conditions, These could deteriorate. Right. Da, 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 da. To me, that is less of an infraction to somebody who will willfully. Go Say, out okay, and we're going to do covert. We're going to find out what the tests are, and then we're going to put something here to get around them. Uh-huh. And when Volkswagen starts faking the tests on diesels, you, know, you know something's in trouble here. Yeah. Because, I mean, that is their stock and trade is the diesels. Right. And, and they, they've had diesels back oh, ever since I can the remember. 60s, you know. And yeah. Yeah, when they start faking the tests on diesels. But to me, that rises, even though it hasn't been a loss of life involved with that, it just the sheer audacity that they intend 
intentionally Inten- that's did it. it intentionally it's sort of like the gm cover-up with the ignition switches where they knew about it and they and tried they to cover it up anyway yeah that to me just rises to a whole different occasion from a guy who built something that didn't proved, work out in this situation proved under certain conditions to be a problem right and then did come back and try to do something about it i think another thing that i see more and more and more is they will recall something now and then say no fix available Right, it kind of puts a different liability on them then. I think it must because I have never, ever seen that before. It's just something we just started seeing. Yeah, like GM with this oil leak that they've already recalled three times and the car can catch fire. And they say, well, there's no known fix. Don't park your car in the garage. Exactly. Park it out (laughs) out in the driveway so so it'll only burn the car up and not your garage. And, I mean, that's sort of sad. But I mean, oil leaks all the way back to 95 Yeah, in some models. And, like I said, their answer is there's no known fix right now. And well, I've seen that a lot on different recalls, and I think what it is, once they go ahead and issue the recall, it kind of gets moves them the off, liability maybe, off Yeah, of maybe, maybe moves liability away because they have recalled it, and then all they have to say is, well, we don't have a fix, or we're working on a fix. Right. And, and that could go some time. Right. That, that could go on, on for, for years. years. Who knows? Right. I remember when Ford had the problem with the switches that were burning up the F-150s. The then brake light switches. Right. Later, it was proved that it was in the Crown Vix. It was in the— It was the same switch, yeah. same master cylinder switch assembly. Across their line. Pretty much all vehicles. Well, first they recalled the F-150s, but then they came back with the other one and they didn't have enough parts, they said. So uh-huh. I mean, this drug out for years. Oh, yeah. And I still see some come through the shop that hadn't oh, been yeah. fixed yet. Did one the other day. Master cylinder started leaking, so while we're in there, we just went and put a new switch for the guy. Yeah. But well, they're, they're fixed for it. They made a pigtail with a fuse in it. Right. And you unplug the harness from the switch, and you plug this fuse lead between right. the switch and the harness. So that way, when it shorted out, it just blow the fuse. Yeah. That yeah. was their fix. They yeah. didn't go in and change the switch. Yeah, they didn't fix the switch or fix right. the problem. They, they just, just bypassed it so it wouldn't <laughs> catch fire anymore. Well, which is a major improvement. But well. <laughs> how about we just make a switch that doesn't burn the car up? <laughs> there you go. I mean, really? Yeah. It's just kind of bad. And like I say, I hate to just bash away at stuff like that. But Well, and it's, it's not one manufacturer we're after. No. We're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, it's across the line. It is. Each manufacturer is coming up with stuff like this mm-hmm. to try to get by. Yeah. With a, a repair. Well, I guess as the penalties get stiffer and stiffer, it's just, I don't want to say human nature, corporate nature maybe, to try to cover their behinds. Yeah. So they are issuing more recalls, which may sound good, except they're coming up with a no-fix right. situation so on basically these recalls. they're still not doing anything so still about not it. doing anything. They're just trying to limit their liability. And very often they'll say, bring the car and let us inspect it. Uh-huh. Inspect and say, okay, we don't have the parts right now. So what and, are you supposed to do in the meantime? You yeah, supposed I've to got, stop driving the vehicle? I guess. I mean, I got a lady right now that's got one of those cars with the airbag that could blow up, and they just tell the parts not available. And I mean, she's scared to drive the car. Sure. She brought it by. We pulled the fuse out so that the airbag couldn't deploy. At least, I mean, she doesn't have the safety of an airbag any longer. Just be sure you use your seatbelt. But I right. thought it was a better fix than just saying, "Hey, the parts aren't available," <laughs> <laughs> and you know, letting it go at that. But I don't know, just kind of a strange set of situations. I think that what most of the manufacturers nowadays, they are so neurotic about sales. Uh Sales are driving the entire equation. And they realize that for a large part, the thing that drives sales is new technology. Sure. Because a lot of the younger people and possibly some old people like all these gadgets and gizmos that they put in. Mm -hmm. Those sell cars. So they got all the engineers working full time coming up with new fandangos to put on the car that's better than the one on brand x Uh and they're kind of neglecting some of the 
tried and true, hey, let's make this better, constant improvement, let's right. work. That's just not really as much of a factor to them, it seems. Well, it's just like Chevrolet with that intermittent steering shaft that Plunk. they had on the pickup truck. Right. They would make noise constantly. You'd have to go in and, and move the lubrication around. Right. Two months later, they'd be making noise again. Right. This went on for 15 years. Right. Why? Yeah. I mean, really? It doesn't take that much to, to redesign this part where it won't do well, that anymore. But in the meantime, they came up with like a Wi-Fi so you can sit there and check the internet in your car. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is great. Yeah. Except the steering shaft's making except noise my, now. Except my truck goes clunk, 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 clunk the whole time I drive that road. Of course, I can get on the internet and look at why it's doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> there you but go. Yeah, yeah, they just, in my opinion, they just put so, so much. And I'm not saying don't innovate, don't look to technology that's that's all well and good but when you start doing that to the exclusion of oh, everything, everything else, else right then you sort of kind of get to this point where we're at now where we have these marvelous cars that do all this stuff they sense the car next to you they slow down they give you a warning the cruise cuts off automatically you got cameras that can look 360 degrees around the car applies the brakes for you if you get yeah. too close to an object yeah, yeah. it's not all well and good but when the motor won't last a hundred thousand miles because the camshaft wears out there you go you're not driving it anyway so it really doesn't matter really don't matter how close you are to the next guy because the car don't run <laughs> I, I tell you what when we took when we took driver's education you remember taking driver's oh, yeah. education mm-hmm. They taught us how to do all that. Yeah. You know, they taught us how to parallel park. They told yeah. us how close to drive, yeah. how to stop. All that was taught to you when, yeah. you, when you took yeah. all that. Yeah. It's, well, and all of, all of these safety factors have managed to do is just people just push it a little bit further, push the envelope a little bit it. further down. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I got a little bit closer. Yeah. I, go, I go a little faster and push a little closer down. <laughs> Let's go back to our line with Doug. Good morning, Doug. Yes, I heard y'all talking about Ford mm-hmm. and special like Ford pickup and the 70 models. I noticed on wet weather... The pickup trucks, the rear wheel, the left rear wheel never tracked in line with the front wheel. That's fairly common. Right. That Was that by design? or No, they just wasn't getting the frame, the perfect what they call straight. a diamond in the frame. You got two frame rails that lie parallel to each other. Think of it as a ladder. Right. If Let's say you had a ladder and four big giants grab one corner each, and two of them pull one way and two pull the other way, and it became a diamond shape. When that happens, the rear differential moves out of line with the frame rails because one spring's attached to one, one spring attached to the other, so it starts to track off. And that was very common on the Ford products. That can typically happen on any vehicle that's been wrecked or damaged, but it was really more common on those than any of the others for some reason. I remember the same thing. I used to see them all the time going down the road, look like they're crabbing down the road. Yeah, when you, when you start fixing them, you start noticing a lot more of them on the road. Mm-hmm. And, and see, we, us being a frame shop, we get in and out of quite a bit. That can be corrected. You just have to grab the rails, pull them back in line with each other. Pretty typical after a collision for that to occur. But those vehicles, yeah, they had a lot of trouble with that. They also built a handful of vehicles. I think it was some of the E-150s that looked similar. But what it was, the wheelbase on the front was slightly wider than the wheelbase on the back. And it gave the illusion of dog tracking. If you looked at it from the left, it looked like it was going one way. If you got in the passenger seat, you looked at it the other way, it looked like it was going the other way. I remember those. We had several of them come through. And yeah, people thought they were dog right. tracking, but it was it was an illusion because the, the front wheelbase was a couple inches wider than the rear wheelbase. Well, was that by design? Or yeah, that, that was. Yes, that, that was, was. But not the one with the pickups. Well, was that supposed to be a, a positive theory behind that? or is I just, don't know what their intention was. I don't know that. what their intention. They never made that known. I know cars throughout the years... If you can remember a really bizarre old car, it never was in the United States. It was called a Citron. They were big in Europe at one time. That was always their claim to fame. And they were they were a lot wider. They were probably six or eight inches wider in the front than the back. And I don't know why they did it. No one else ever did it. And I didn't see any real big advantage to that particular car. But I guess some engineer had some idea in mind when he did it. 
I guess he was a good salesman to the company. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yep. All right. Thank you, bud. All, All right, right Doug, Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We got to take one more quick little break. Mike, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Don't! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, it's Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. And we're going live with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. I have an 08 Tundra. Uh-huh. Got a couple hundred thousand miles on okay. it. Okay. And just uh, recently, when I turn, I seem to hear a clunk in the front end. What could that be? Is it a single clunk, Mike? Yeah, when I turn it to the right or to the left. Mm-hmm. I usually feel it when it stopped. But I never really feel it when it's driving. But okay. like if I was parked and I would turn it hard to the right, I might hear a little clunk, and, mm-hmm. and you can feel it a little bit too. And I and also do it to the left. Hmm. Does it do it at full turn, or does it do it kind of as, you're turning. as you're turning? I would say no. It's more towards the end of the turn. Okay. I won't say it's all the way at the end, but it's all. It's yeah, more yeah. And there's the not end. when it's stopped and you're just forcing it further. Not, yeah. not that kind of deal. No, 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 not yeah, that. Yeah, Mike, I would almost guarantee that's going to be something that's loose in the front end, possibly like a cross member or a bolt or something that's gotten loose or something like a lower control arm that's getting loose. What's happening as you're turning the wheel all the way, the load is increased because of what they call caster. The load is increasing on the lower control arms and all that stuff, and something is moving, and that's giving you that single clunk. It could be something like where the cam bolts are, where you set the alignment. One of those may be loose. And so when you crank it all the way over and that load on that spring becomes sufficient, it just pushes and it pops to the other extreme, so it stops. And then when you turn back the other way, it pops back the other way. It could be something like a worn control arm bushing. I mean, it's going to be something under the front end. It could be the bolts that hold the cross member into the truck. Right. It's going to be that. something like that. What I would do is to bring it to someone who knows what they're doing, has an alignment rack. They could put it up on the rack and put somebody under the car, put somebody in there rotating the wheel back and forth. And if they have to, they can even attach microphones under the car and isolate the exact spot. Once you find the clunk, the fix is probably not going to be that difficult to address. You know, it's going to be something that's either loose or moving. So, okay. But Good. it will probably end up wearing your tires out because most things that move in the front end are going to affect the alignment pretty drastically. So you don't want to wait until you eat two tires up and then still have to get it fixed. Right. So okay. you know, let's, let's, let's fix it. Let's, yeah, let's fix it before we eat the tires. <laughs> I remember GM had that problem with a cross member in one of their Silverados. Mm-hmm. The bolts would get loose and they're fixed for it. You took the bolt out and put a big washer on it and tightened it to a certain point. 
It fixed a lot of them. Some of them it didn't fix. We took the welding machine and just put a small tack weld a between tack weld the bracket on. and a, a cross member, which would stop it from moving. Right. Uh, Ford had that same problem with that's, the transmission cross members. That's correct. We go in and tack weld them into place, and right. that would stop the problem. And if, if you, you ever wanted to get it out, you just take a little Dremel and cut the weld, but right. that was just the only way to cut. You get the bolts tight as you want, it'd still pop. Yep. Okay, well, I'll have that checked out. I Bye. appreciate the help. Okay, All Mike, right, sir. Thanks, man. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would absolutely love to have you. And we got Linda online. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a Chrysler 300 Touring, mm-hmm. and I'm having problems getting my key in and out of the ignition. Uh-huh. Once I park and try to get the key out, I can't get it out. And sometimes I can get it out. But that, yesterday. Yeah, that almost always, Linda, there are some mechanisms on the car that when you rotate the lock cylinder, it moves other things. Like there's a what they call a, a park interlock that moves some stuff that keeps you from starting the car when it's not in park and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Most likely, it's going to be something in there that's hanging up intermittently. Mm-hmm. And so it's not allowing that cylinder to fully rotate to the off position so the tumblers are keeping the key from coming out. Now, do you have a spare key that you do not use on that vehicle? Purchased one on yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Does it do the same thing? Well, we haven't gotten it done yet. I have to go back on next week. Okay. Right. Okay. If the new key works better than the old key did, it could be that the tumblers are worn in the ignition switch, causing the ignition. The tumblers will not retract to Fully. their full point. That are, therefore, when you turn the key all the way off, you can't take it out. Right. That's a possibility. And, um, again, the cylinder itself can be worn. But right. You have to have a working key. Because when you take the, the ignition switch out of the car, you have to turn it to a certain point to unlock it to take it out. Right. So if it's hanging up now, you need to go ahead and get that looked at if that's fixed. the problem. Because well, eventually what's going to happen is the key is not going to turn it anymore, and then it's a major, major repair to try to get that cylinder out without it, it being able to be right. turned. Right. If you can't rotate all the way to get the old cylinder out, then it becomes a major repair. Right now it's fairly minor because you can rotate the cylinder and Pop get it, get and it and out, pull it out and, and replace it, fixed. it if that's necessary. Right. But Try to notice the position when you turn it off and the key comes out easily. Try to notice the exact position. You can even take like a little marker pen, maybe make a mark on it right in that position. Next time it hangs up, see if it's maybe not turning all the way to that position. Okay. In other words, if it's just a hair off from completely turned off, it's not going to come out. Right. And there are some mechanisms up in the column that have to, in other words, when you're turning the key, you're doing more than just starting the car. You're rotating some stuff. If any of that hangs up where the key cylinder doesn't return all the way to that home position, the key is not going to retract. But other times, it'll come out just fine. Okay. So, and, and that may be as simple as just taking the column part, lubricating everything, putting it back together. So not necessarily a big fix, but if it totally fails where you can't turn it off, it's going to become a big deal. Okay. All right. Because yesterday wouldn't start, so I really was frightened. Mm-hmm. And one of my... Well, uh, see, another yeah. problem you may have is that if it's not turning completely off, it may leave some things on in the car, which will run your battery dead. Okay. So, yeah, it, yeah. it, it can become a bigger and bigger problem. So it's something that's going to need to get addressed. Okay. So do you do that at your... Yes, ma'am. Yes, we, ma'am. we can do that. Okay. All righty. Great. Thank you so much, and you have a good day. All right, Thank Linda, you, ma'am. Thanks, Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. Why don't you go give us a call? That's a pretty common problem on most vehicles nowadays. It just, you know, I've got an 06 Silverado. I had mm-hmm. to have the ignition cylinder rebuilt. I was using a worn key, and I was used to it. You jiggle mm-hmm. a little bit, and it right, starts. So out. I just I kept going with it, and one day the kids got in it, and they didn't realize what right. was going on and locked it up. Yeah. 
So then the steering column had to come apart, and oh, it was a major, major ordeal to get the key that, to turn and I, it. What a lot of folks do, and I, I noticed this a lot, just sort of a tip, is that they hang a lot of things off their keychain. Right. They, they may have 10, 15 keys on one keychain. Some of them will hang a, who yeah, knows? Decorative some, stuff off of it. Yeah. Uh, pictures of the grandkids. My uh, wife's got a big old keychain. Yeah. I got them for all the time about May it. spray and all this other stuff. All that weight, that's a brass key and a brass cylinder, which are both very soft. When you're driving down the road, those are bouncing around all the time. They're moving the tumblers inside that. Right. Inside that you can switch. wear that out very, very, very quickly. Sure. You really shouldn't have anything but your ignition key is ideal. And if you have to keep that stuff on that keychain to an absolute minimum. Right. The minimum, if, if nothing else, carry two keychains with you. Mm-hmm. One for your car key and one for everything else. Because you will definitely wear that lock cylinder out. And that can be, on some cars, that is a oh, yeah. major Major, major repair oh you take like on a mercedes or something that might be 15 to 1800 dollars for that lock cylinder and key it's sure. got a laser cut key and some of the domestic and japanese cars are probably not too very far behind that mm-hmm. as, as far as cost goes yeah i, mean, I remember that, that can become very very expensive pretty quick go back to the phone lines herb good morning herb good morning yes, remember morning. a couple three weeks ago y'all was talking about engineering to the rattle right on the net you know yes right yes, the minimum mm-hmm. okay well it's not due with an automobile, but I put four sacks of sand in a little trailer and towed it next door. Uh-huh. Good luck. With, with my lawnmower. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm in, as soon as y'all go off the air, I'm going to finish pulling the transmission out of it. Let them oh, Lord. Wow. Yeah. Y'all were close. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of beef in there. I mean, there was a time when people designed stuff, and they built it, I mean, redundantly over-designed. I mean, if it said it would do this, it would do three times that. But nowadays, with computers and all, they well, can put it pretty much on a net. And people I mean, got used to that. Yeah, you know, people got used. But people to got taking, used to being right. able to. Yeah, it, take it, a half ton truck, pull three tons with it. That's right. And not think twice about yeah. it. Yeah, but not now. Nope. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was two other things y'all said this morning. That Citron, the only one I remember seeing when I was a little fella. You had if you run into somebody, you was up a creek because you had to get out by opening the door, and it was on the front end. <laughs> <laughs> and then I seen a one ton Ford with a big gearbox backing in our shop one time and at the time he got in there his oil pan was almost on the floor because of the toe in i guess yeah oh yeah, yeah. It just it just kept wider and wider and yeah. wider yeah yeah all righty i heard I, I won't contribute no more today <laughs> thanks right. man bye 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 right. bye all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour we got to take one last little break jesse please hold on you'll be straight up after this break Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we're going back to the lines with Jesse. Good morning, Jesse. 
Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. Good morning. O five Yukon with uh-huh. forty one thousand miles wow. on Ooh, it. Miles. It ain't been nowhere. Well, a uh, lady that owned it passed away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sits up a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's always had nine ethanol in it. Mm-hmm. And what's the worst enemy on that fuel pump there? Is that time or mileage? Uh, they're about equal. About the same. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one probably, I mean, you're going to get 100000 on the first pump, thereabouts. If you do it in a reasonable do amount it, of yeah. time. I mean, yeah, and if it had non, 10 years. If it had non-ethanol gas, you probably don't have a lot of phase separation going on in the tank, so that's not going to be too big of an issue. But you may have a lot of contamination as yeah, far if, as if water. It had, if it had, had ethanol in it, yeah. you, you probably took a fuel pump out already, let it sit that way. It's a vehicle that you've got now and you're trying to start using. No, I use it every week or two. Yeah, yeah, I would probably try to use it a little more if you could because you you don't want to let the gas get old and get separated in it. Well, I keep it topped off usually every other week or so. Yeah, and, but uh, you just need to run it out because what's sitting in there is just going to continue to degrade. See, if you put ethanol fuel, it's going to go through separation in about right. three months. and. The, the only way that you can do that is just to keep on to drive it a little more. You, you're going to need to start burning out a tank of gas in probably less than three months. Okay. And even if you keep topping it, it that's good because you keep re-diluting, but you just need to get it out of there. If not, you're going to need to drain the tank and, and get that old fuel out and start over. Even if you use some stay-bill or something like that in the fuel, that'll buy you a little bit more time. But only if you put it in when you put the fresh fuel. Get everything out, take fresh fuel, put stay-bill in it, but it can't regenerate old fuel. Right. Right. Now, if I drop that tank, that, that pump's coming out. Oh, yeah, I would. Yeah. Definitely. At that age, I mean, I would go ahead and just replace the pump if I'm going to go to that extent. And, and I'd buy you a quality pump. Yeah, good oh, quality. Yeah. yeah. Don't go with this part store, off-the-wall no. fuel Junk. pumps. Yeah. yeah. They won't last. No, the last one I changed was a, uh, it's an AC pump. Uh, mm-hmm. that yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It, it, I've had it about three or four years in a Sierra, and yeah. uh, I got a hunt and seventy something out of the old. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. All right, Jesse. Thanks, man. Thank you. Mm, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. If you want to be part of automotive, we still got several minutes left. We can get you an answer. You know, I imagine there's a place for cheap parts, but I don't know. I don't know where. You do a job that big. Well, you definitely don't want to do it again. It's just a misnomer that there's any such thing as a cheap part because guy asked me one time why don't you use aftermarket parts they're too expensive uh-huh. he says what do you mean they cost less than the other i said no they don't add up the cost by the time i take it out twice or three times and then it only lasts for this much time right the, the cost is staggering it's way way cheaper to do it right the first time i mean the only That's, i like doing things the yeah, first time I mean, and, and done i'm done if i had a vehicle that for some reason it only had to work another two weeks yeah. But it absolutely had to work for another two weeks. I might would consider something like that. Even if you're going to trade it in, I mean, is it really right to do that to the next guy? Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that, that kind of stuff bothers me. I mean, just go ahead and fix it, blast the thing, right? It's going to be cheaper. The cheapest way out is sometimes the most expensive way in. <laughs> that, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, there is no free lunch. And I know our society has come to a point where a lot of people – think there is a free lunch and maybe for them there is maybe but, but some somebody's for the, paying for it that's right and it's just until it's kind of you, you see these commercials you know be the change you, you want to see mm-hmm. well same thing with this i mean be the change you want to see if you do things right i right. mean there's a right way and there's a wrong way and you're not going to save anything you're going to pay way more i mean it's been demonstrated thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of times what's your time worth yeah why do you have to put yourself through this thinking you're going to get ahead because right. you're not you know you're going to get ahead by doing things right right 
the first the time. first time, and yeah, it's always going to be cheaper down the road. Let's go back to the lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got a uh, one Yukon XL, and uh, it seems like the Freon's leaking out of the air conditioner where it'll cool for a little while, then it'll have to you know, add a can or two about every three or four months. Is that necessarily the compressor going out, or could it just be a small leak somewhere? Well, you need to find out what's really going on, Curtis. If you're just dumping refrigerant into it without checking it, I mean, most likely there's going to be a leak because you'd have blown the compressor off the engine by now if you kept putting more in there. Right. You're going to need to diagnose the leak, find out where it's at, and repair the leak because what's happening is that as it's leaking, it's also pushing oil out of the system. And it's only got a very limited amount in there. And And by only adding refrigerant back to it, you're not adding the oil back. Correct. And with the oil not circulating through the system like it's supposed to in the correct quantity, you will end up tearing up a compressor. Well, yeah, you have a catastrophic failure, and you're going to have a $3,000 repair on your hands that could have been prevented for who knows. I mean, what what kind of vehicle was it, Curtis? It's an 01 Yukon. 01 Yukon. And I would check the charge ports on there. That's they were bad real inexpensive and one very common place that they leak. And what happens a lot of times, you take it to a shop. First thing they want to do is put some gauges on it and charge it up. Well, when they do that and they're testing, those gauges are sealing those charge ports up. So it's right. not going to show a leak. But when they take the gauges off, they start leaking again. Then they put a little cap on. That kind of seals it some, but it doesn't really seal it, so it keeps leaking. That was the most common leak point on that vehicle was the charge ports. And those are okay. those are falling down easy to change and real inexpensive. And I'm not and saying that, that's what the problem is, but you could always add some fluorescent dye to the system and then let it go through another cycle, and you can go back with a black light, you'll be able to find the leaks. I mean, okay. I would also suspect possibly evaporator core, except that truck really wasn't very bad about that problem. Not to say it couldn't, right. couldn't happen, but it wasn't a real big problem on that truck. Okay, thank uh, you. Okay, man, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number of you want to be part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. Yeah, we see that a lot. Yeah, well, what happens is that when the system is low, they go back, they put some more refrigerant in it. Well, it starts cooling for a little while, but uh-huh. then it goes back out again. And what will happen commonly, particularly let's say you got a Chrysler product, which are notorious for evaporator cores leaking, right? or some other cars that are, the evaporator core is one of the lowest points in the system. It's also where oil tends to collect. And when it pushes the refrigerant out of that little tiny crack, it's also pushing the oil out. We pull the evaporator case, the bottom of the case is all full of oil. That's right. And the compressor <clears throat> smoked. Right. And so now we are changing a compressor, an expansion valve, a filter dryer, a and condenser, and an evaporator core. Exactly. Whereas you could have went in and we changed. We got a $3,000 pair instead of a $1,500 pair, which, which would have been bad enough. Sure. But we just doubled or quadrupled the price of it and let's say it's a dodge truck which is a major deal oh yeah now well, we, you know four thousand dollars you may total the truck well not even that on a on a dodge truck the dashboards get brittle after so many years they and, fall to pieces when yeah, you, try you to take them out you can't do anything with can't it i put mean them back in that's got to be part of the repair you know that new dashboard yeah so i mean you keep, you're adding price keep adding, adding more money. and more and more let's go back to line with ryan good morning ryan good morning sir yes sir I have a 98 Tacoma, okay. and I replaced the harmonic balancer, all the belts. Everything was fine. The truck ran great for two weeks, and it just stopped running on me. Okay. Did it stop running when you changed the balancer, or did it stop running before that or after that? Yes, it stopped running after that, okay. about two weeks after. Hmm. Could be a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't Ryan, sound related. I would do the typical check, and there's the first thing when I have a no run like that, I'm going to check fuel pressure first off. Even a Toyota. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check fuel pressure first because right. it is the easiest check you can do. You can put a gauge on it. You're going to eliminate a lot of problems right, if right we, there. If we got no fuel pressure, then the first thing I have to do is go back to the fuel pump, put a voltmeter on there and see if I got power to the pump. If I got I no know. If I got no I power that. to the pump, then I've got to trace upstream. If I've got power to the pump and no fuel pressure, then I got a bad pump or, or something to that effect. But if yeah. I got full fuel pressure, then I can forget all that. Right. Now I got to check for spark. If I've got spark, I got to check for injector pulse. If I've got injector pulse, now I got to start looking at compression and things like that. And you don't have to do those in any particular order. You can check any one of the four first. It's just I'm listing them in the order of how easy they are to check. Right. Fuel pressure is easy. Yeah. Easy you peasy. Take your gauge. You screw it on the, the valve. Right. And turn the key on. If you got fuel pressure. You eliminate half the right. possibilities right there. Right off the bat. Ten so, minutes. So, yeah. And then next thing again, check your spark. If you don't have spark, well, then you got to start tracing down. Do I have a crank sensor that's bad? Do I have a cam sensor that's bad? You know, what are all the things that contribute to spark? If I've got okay. spark, I can forget all that move on to the next thing you know do i have an injector pulse because if the pcm went out or it blew a fuse in the pcm i'm not gonna have a pulse to my injectors and again you can check that with a little what they call a noid light which is a very very inexpensive little tool right you just unplug the injector wiring harness from the injector and you plug this little light in it yeah it and blink, blink, it blink, blink, blink. and if the light blinks then you have injector pulse. right if i got pulse then hey great i can forget about that then you got to go to compression and if i got, right. don't have any compression then you into some kind of internal engine now, problem it's possible just possible you were down in there around that harmonic balancer right. around that crank sensor right could be a bad wire it could have had oil on it well and you disturbed it, it was it. probably I mean, leaking beforehand that's it, why you changed all that stuff the oil may have wicked its way into one of the crank sensors or something else but right. again before you go start tearing all that check the other things that are right. real easy first exactly check the easy stuff first yeah i got fuel pressure i got no spark well then i'm gonna go tear the front of the motor back down right yeah okay yeah all right well thank you sir all right, all right man. Sir. thanks ryan right. bye-bye bye-bye all right, 291-6901 is the number. And see, Ryan is a smart guy. He is asking for advice. Before well, and not only that, but he has a, a set of steps to follow now. Right. Because right, he's not just going in there and throwing parts at this. Well, what so many people do is say, okay, I just did this, so it must be something to do with that. They go tear all the front of the motor down, and it's nothing in there. Just or maybe they change the crank sense. They do it. still won't start. Well, then they go check the fuel pump. Right. Well, that's way easier than anything else. Let's do ten minutes. Let's do the easy stuff first. That's right. We always want to do the easy stuff first, and even if it's not the most likely thing, I'm going to do the easiest stuff. You know, even if I suspect maybe this engine has jump timing, and the only way I can verify that is with a compression test or something like that. That's going to be pretty difficult. All the plugs have to come out. It's a pretty right. big deal to do. So I'm going to certainly check the fuel pressure first. I'm going to check for spark first. I'm going to check for pulse first. Even if I think inevitably I may go to that, because it, between all three of those, I probably eat, hadn't eaten up a half an hour. Correct. And I've eliminated three-quarters of the other stuff. I know we had a Tahoe come in the other day that wasn't running, mm -hmm. and we we got it running on uh, external fuel. Right. And the motor was knocking real bad. Right. So instead of just stopping right there and saying, hey, this truck needs a motor, mm -hmm. and then when you get the motor and it still won't crank, still won't run, then trying to figure out it needed a fuel pump. Right. We went ahead and diagnosed that too. Right. That way, the when we get well, you done with the job, it's say, done. Yeah, because if you go and put a motor into this truck because it does need a motor, but, but then now it the fuel run. pump it won't run. Well, that guy's not going to be real pleased. No, until he's the not. End. So you need to know all that information. Hey, it needs a fuel pump and it needs a motor. Correct. Or whatever, whatever the situation is. Right. And I see we are just about out of time. You start winding up and backing on out here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends so you can get some more people listening. That's right. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you 
your favorite broadcast or service rebroadcast is. service is. If it's a written review, give us a written review. We sure help out and moves us up in the rankings, and we appreciate it as well. That's it. We so kind of like reading those over and see what people think about it. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.